and welcome everybody to this week's podcast. My name is Brandon Hubbard. I will be walking you through some news and notes from the UConn sports world as well as the sports world in general. Some things we're going to talk about today, college football, lots of things happened last weekend, lots of surprises at least to me. The Big East had a huge flop of a weekend this past weekend and so we'll discuss that in a little more detail. UConn football looking back at their loss to Vanderbilt, a loss uh, that could have been prevented and probably should have been and uh, a look ahead at their game this weekend against Iowa State. We'll also look at UConn soccer. They're in the news this week as well as Gino Ariema's latest comments about his basketball team going into this year in detail later on in the show. Starting us off this week, we're going to talk about the UConn men's soccer team. A huge deal here in stores. We have one of the best student sections in the country known as the Goal Patrol, and they don't show up for nothing. UConn men's soccer ranked two in two of the leading national polls, one in the other one. They are 5-0 and oh to start the season. UConn soccer always been a huge thing here on campus. Maybe a little more under the radar than, say, a basketball or a football, but they've always been great. They've won a national title and certainly looking like they could do that this year already two wins against top 25 teams you got a win against a top 10 team in Cal earlier in the year they won that game four to one and they've already defeated four teams that were in the tournament last year and they've only played five games so looking great to start the season Andrew Jean-Baptiste their all-star defender was named to the national team of the week this week another UConn player Mamadou Dudu Joff also named to the national team of the week earlier in the year so some exciting stuff coming off the pitch here in stores we'll keep Keep you updated on that. This team looking like it might be able to make a deep run into the tournament later in this year, especially if they can keep up the defense they've been putting up in the last few games. Two shutout victories in a row. So some exciting stuff here from stores in the soccer department. Gino Ariema is back in the news this week. He said his team can't win a national championship this year unless some other team screws up on the way to the championship. It's hard to fault him for saying it, especially after losing arguably the best player in women's college ball history in Maya Moore. I just don't know that he should be saying stuff like this, especially since his team is they're working out now, trying to work towards that national title, trying to work towards another sensational season like they had a year ago, the year before, and the year before that. You know, the team last Last year probably wasn't good enough to win the national championship either. And, you know, he said that from the beginning. It wasn't as good a team. And then they made it all the way to the Final Four, almost beat Notre Dame for the fourth time that year. I think they would have beaten Texas A&M in the final had they beaten Notre Dame. I just, I don't know that I'm okay with him saying this right now, considering his team is prepping for the season. You know, he's he's saying things that are hurtful to the team's confidence, and I don't know that I like it, but Gino's always been an outspoken guy. I'll always respect him. He's done great things for the basketball program here in Connecticut. You can't fault him for being outspoken, especially since he has a better win percentage than Pat Summit. It's unbelievable what he's done here in Connecticut. I can't fault him for saying it. I just wish the timing is a little suspect to me. I don't know. You have to take your own message from this. I think he might be right. 
and I think this team's probably worse off than it was a year ago when they didn't win the national championship. But basketball is one of those sports where if you get hot at the right time, you can win. The, the UConn men's basketball team last year is a perfect example of that. I think if he coaches them well, just like he always does, and they play up to their ability and then get hot at the right minute right before the tournament, they could win just like anybody else. I think him saying this right now is a little bit weird, but it's absolutely impossible to fault a guy who's won seven national championships for saying something that he believes is true. It'll be fun to come back and look at this when the season's over and see how what he says matches up to what actually happens, and then I'll let you know whether me having a problem with it is even worth talking about because, you know, he has the right to an opinion, and I'm sure a reporter asked him this question directly, like, do you think your team can win the national championship this year? And he probably just said, I think there are teams better than us, and I think they would have to screw up, which is a perfectly legitimate opinion to have. I just think before the season starts, it's hard for me as a fan to hear that, especially with the kind of excellence we've come to expect out of this women's basketball team. So in the future, we'll look back and and see how this all played out. Now on to one of the most hurtful stories from the UConn sports world this week. UConn's loss to Vanderbilt last weekend. Just a a painful, painful game to watch. UConn losing 21-24 to Vanderbilt. They were up 21-14 late in the game. Johnny McAtee's interception returned for a touchdown, tied the game, and then UConn's offense again sputtered and stalled, giving Vanderbilt the drive to kick the field goal and go ahead and win that game. The thing about this game is that... What it showed me isn't that the offense is at times incapable of getting first downs, incapable of scoring all of those things, that it is. But we knew that already coming into this year. We knew there would be offensive problems. And I said that in my last podcast, that with even a decent passing game from the UConn Huskies in this game, they would have and should have won this game. And I was completely correct in that, not not to toot my own horn, but of course I'm going to. But Johnny McAtee was 10 of 27 in this game. With a 3.7-yard completion average with three interceptions, and that doesn't take into account the fact that he also fumbled once in this game. That's four turnovers. Vanderbilt's quarterback had two interceptions. I'm not going to say, and the defense actually scored a touchdown. It's just that this offense is so painfully reminiscent of last year's offense, except it's without Jordan Todman. And so you have a team with a rushing attack that, that is definitely worse than last year and a passing attack that is probably worse than last year on a team that went eight and five last year I don't know I expected big things from this team this year if they play the same way they did against Vanderbilt against Iowa State this weekend they will go one and two and I predicted they would go five and oh so right now it's hurting me to say that but there's no way they can beat a team like Iowa State who just came off a huge win against Iowa I just don't see it happening I don't know how they come out of this with a win unless they can fix some of the problems on offense because what we learned against Vanderbilt wasn't that the offense was bad we knew that coming in what we found out is that the defense is insanely good and if they can get pressure on the quarterback like they did against Vanderbilt it's going to be hard to beat them in the secondary and we found out the special teams is good which we already knew with Taggart but the punt return and kick returns in this game were at least enough to be a shining spot and then there was the offense and this is the third time in the last four games that the UConn offense has failed to score a touchdown which is impossible for me to fathom the BCS game fine I'll give it to you it's Oklahoma USF fine we're going to a bowl game but when you win a game 19 to 16 it's just not 
it's not pretty offensively. And that is something UConn has not had in a long time. Jordan Todman was a beast last year, but they always failed to get a touchdown because when you get down to the red zone, there's 11 guys in the box and no one was afraid of UConn's passing attack. And I'm afraid that with this unit this year, that's only going to get worse because Lyle McCombs has been great. And I will give him lots of nods for that. He has been great. The problem is that the passing attack is even worse than last year, and he is not Jordan Todman yet. And that's not a fault of his. Jordan Todman was a junior who had been in the wings of the likes of Donald Brown, and I, I just don't see UConn doing well without any passing attack. And right now, the leading receiver on the team is Ryan Griffin, the tight end, which is no surprise to anyone. He was the best hands last year, but when he has four receptions in the game against Vanderbilt and the next leading receiver has one, everyone knows who the target is in the passing attack. You put a linebacker on Ryan Griffin with safety help over the top, and you load everyone else into the box to stop Lyle McCones or DJ Shoemate, who may start this week, may not. We don't know yet. It's just, it's hard for me to imagine them winning any games in the next few weeks, especially when they start the Big East schedule, when they start off with West Virginia. I just don't see how they win many games without some sort of offensive relief. And this team just hasn't shown me that they can do that yet, which is why Jeff Jacobs this week in the Hartford Current said he would start Michael Niebrick instead of Johnny McAtee. And his sole argument argument is that nobody has looked good. McAtee's a junior, Niebrick's a freshman, so if you're gonna give someone game experience as the Huskies quarterback of the future and are essentially saying none of these guys are really our starting quarterback because none of them has shined or given us the production that we want, why not give the reins to a freshman who will be here for four years and will learn and grow and be able to take that experience into the next few games, into the future of the Huskies program? And I have a tendency to agree with them. Whether you want to go with Scott McCumming or Michael Niebrick doesn't really matter to me. Neither of them has shined. Scott McCummings has shown a tendency to run way too much. He's thrown one pass in 13 snaps. The other 12 he's tried to run or has gotten sacked. And then you've got Michael Niebrick who went 4 of 10 in the game against Vanderbilt. But I don't really fault him for that either because Johnny McAtee went 10 of 27, which isn't the same. Statistically, it's very close. It's very, very close. Statistically, he would have gone a little over what McAtee did in completions but by a percentage point so either way the completion percentage is the same their accuracy is about the same why not give the one who will be here longer the game experience and so i i tend to agree with him i don't know pascaloni has said he's gonna run the same system he ran against vanderbilt and against fordham giving all three of them snaps i wrote about this last week i talked about it in the blog post last week i don't think that's good for the team the news and media have been interviewing these guys since Pascaloni has said they'll all start and all of them seem genuinely okay with it. I don't know whether or not they actually believe that, but I think the rest of the team is hurt by this and I think he needs to pick one of them. And I don't know who he picks. I don't really care at this point, but what I've seen out of McAtee tells me he's not good enough to play in a game situation. 10 of 27 with three interceptions and a fumble is not good enough to compete against FBS opponents at all. With a little more offensive production, Vanderbilt crushes UConn in this game. UConn had four turnovers all at the quarterback position and Vanderbilt had three turnovers of their own. So against a team like Iowa State who puts up 44 points against Iowa, granted that game went to three overtimes, but a team like Iowa who probably has a good defense, they play in the Big Ten, they were supposed to be decent this year. You know, they come into town and play UConn who has a good defense, but they scored a lot of points against a good defense last weekend. I don't know that our offense can keep up. And so my 5-0 and prediction now looks like it might be 
be a one and two start. And that's hard for me to take because I'm a very confident individual and I think my predictions are always going to be right. And so I look at this offense and I look at how they handed Vanderbilt that game on a silver platter. I mean, Johnny McAtee has no business throwing that ball late. I just, I don't know how you make up for that against a team that's going to score lots of points. And Vanderbilt is not going to score lots of points because they have the same offensive troubles that UConn has. They fumbled, they threw interceptions that shouldn't have been thrown, and UConn converted those into points, not offensively, but defensively and special teams. So it looks like heading into this weekend, without a fix on offense for the Huskies, Iowa State's going to come in here and march all over them. And so I say, you start a guy like McCummings or Niebrick, who bring a a more athletic feel to the quarterback position, who can escape and run around and maybe just add a dimension to the offense. So if the running back runs the ball a lot and they pull everyone up into the zone to stop the run, the quarterback runs a play action, you don't even have to pass. Just get him out into space, have the wide receivers and tight ends block the outside spaces and get four or five yards on a QB sneak. I really think that's the best option for them right now. And then every once in a while, take a shot with your quarterback because you don't really know what they're capable of in the game situation because they've only played 10 snaps apiece, maybe. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. I do think Iowa State will lose this game. I think their game last week against Iowa was a bit of a fluke. That's a rivalry. The emotions were high. Iowa made some pretty big mistakes. I don't think that will happen with UConn's offense this week. I think Pascaloni ends up picking a starter and then going with him for most of the game depending on how things are working during the game he may change it up I'm not really sure but it it seems to me that this team has the potential to do some great things and I think Pascaloni can bring that out of them I just hope he can do it soon because this team stands on a brink of going one and two one and three before heading into a Big East conference schedule that starts off really rough and then slides into the easier teams on the back end and I just think that unless they have a decent record four and one you know three and two even three and two is pushing it they're in serious jeopardy of not making a bowl because the confidence won't be there heading into the games that really matter in the conference so unless Pascaloni can really clean things up in this week's practices I don't know how they fare against Iowa State I have UConn winning just like always I have them winning 24-21 just like they lost to Vanderbilt I say they win by that score this week I don't think Iowa State has the offensive firepower to do what it did last Last week against this UConn defense and I'm thinking that Iowa State's defense will give up one or two big plays on offense or special teams so that's that's my prediction for this week we'll check back in and see how that worked out next week Now let's look at some of the Big East scores from this week. It was a tough, tough week for the Big East. Pitt almost lost to Maine. Louisville lost to Florida International, the Friday night game. Rutgers came close but lost to North Carolina. West Virginia handled its business against Norfolk State. Cincinnati got absolutely trounced by Tennessee. Syracuse beat Rhode Island and South Florida handedly beat Ball State. But that means the conference as a whole went 4-4 four and four this week, coming off an 8-0 record from week one. And the games that were really telling were the games against somewhat quality competition from other conferences that the Big East just couldn't even handle. Florida International, a team out of the Sun Belt, beats Louisville as they continue to have troubles on offense. Rutgers tried to do well, almost pulled it off against North Carolina, a team from the ACC that has high aspirations, but I don't think we'll end up in the top of the ACC. I don't think they're good enough to hold on and even come close to winning that conference. Cincinnati gets 
crushed by an SEC team. 45-23 was the final there. I don't know what to make of that, whether Cincinnati's offense couldn't do what it did week one. I don't know whether their defense is just that bad or whether Tennessee is just that much better than a Big East team. But I think Cincinnati's mid-level Big East, and I don't know where that puts the rest of the conference in terms of how they'll do faring against other conference in bowl games and the BCS later this year. I mean, West Virginia and USF right now are the clear-cut Big East favorites and are head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of quality wins this year and in terms of competition. They've done what they're supposed to do. They've handled everyone else. We already talked about UConn's loss to Vanderbilt, so we don't need to go into that. I just, UConn played some quality opponents from other conferences, but none of them were top tier in any of their conferences. Florida International may win the Sun Belt. I'm not sure, but that doesn't mean they should be beating a team within a conference that has an automatic BCS bit. That shouldn't happen, and Louisville was supposed to be better than that and I assumed they would be so that's a shocker for me. Rutgers almost beating North Carolina was a shocker to me. I I thought they would get handedly beaten. I think Rutgers is the worst team in the Big East. I don't know how they pulled that off. Again I don't think UNC is really that great. And then the most telling one to me because UConn put up a fight. They should have won that game. They almost won that game against Vanderbilt but Tennessee just absolutely demolished Cincinnati. Cincinnati scored a couple times late and it, it just didn't it didn't close the gap enough for it to even be a a quality score line and Tennessee is a good team I just don't think they're a good SEC team and so Cincinnati who is supposed to be at least a decent team doesn't even compete with them I don't know the perception of the Big East is not good again right now and I don't know how you change that until you beat teams from other conferences South Florida's win against Notre Dame was big but it looks like anyone can beat Notre Dame right now because Notre Dame refuses to play defense and turns the ball over five times a game they have 10 turnovers in two games so I don't know where that leaves the conference in terms of how they would fare against other teams. And then in the college landscape in general, I mentioned it briefly, Notre Dame lost again last weekend after I picked them to win. And it it really came down to Notre Dame's five turnovers again. They had two turnovers in the red zone for the second time. They had three against USF. They had two last weekend against Michigan. And then when it came down to it, they just refused to play defense. I don't know what defense Brian Kelly was calling at the end of the game. It looked like they were trying to run a deep prevent with four DBs 20 yards off the line of scrimmage, but I don't know where any of them were when the passes were thrown. Denard Robinson had 11 completions in that game for 300 yards. That's a ridiculous average. It was actually 330. So he's averaging 33 yards of completion. He completed under 50% of his passes, but still had 330 yards passing on 11 completions. That's entirely the fault of the defense. Entirely the fault of the defense. Denard Robinson is a special player he's not that special he should not have that kind of yards per completion that's a ridiculous number and I don't know how he pulled it off and I don't know where Brian Kelly goes from this I think he ends up losing his job at the end of this year unless something magical turns turns it around and they're the fighting Irish so maybe a leprechaun comes in and saves them but it's Michigan State coming in this weekend so their lives don't get any easier and if they keep making mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot I don't know how they win any more games also this weekend the only top 25 matchup Alabama versus Penn State Alabama's defense was just way too good for Penn State's offense Uh, Penn State scored one offensive touchdown in the game and it was with two minutes left in the game and they got a two-point conversion so 27-11 is the final score but for the majority of the game Penn State's offense could not go anywhere they scored a field goal on their first drive of the game did not score again until two minutes left
left in the game, and Alabama knew it. After the first drive Penn State had when they scored the field goal, I think Alabama realized that for Penn State to even have a chance in this game, they would have to have success running the ball. And so Nick Staben took his defense aside, said, stick to your lanes, make sure you tackle, bring down the runner in the backfield for short gains, don't allow them to get large gains, give them third and long, and let their quarterback situation kind of play out to our advantage, and it certainly did. Penn State has the same thing going on that UConn has. They don't have a starter, and so they're pulling and putting in two different quarterbacks almost every other drive, and I think the fluidity of the offense is just gone as soon as you do that, and I think that was evident in UConn's game as well as this Penn State game, and so Alabama really showed that they're a a top team in the nation, which everybody knew, but I don't know where they fall if they make it with a one loss. You know, if they lose to LSU, I don't know where they fall in the national championship. It'll be interesting to see where the chips fall for them, considering I don't expect them to be undefeated at the end of the year, but I expect them to be at the top in terms of the ranking. So BCS, maybe not BCS for them. In this coming week's most interesting matchup, we have Florida State versus Alabama 1 versus 5, a huge game to kind of decipher where everyone is in terms of the national championship. So my prediction, of course, is that Florida State will win. I can't pick Oklahoma after they beat UConn in the BCS game last year. I just think Florida State is just as athletic as everyone thinks they are, and I think Oklahoma's defense is a little bit worse than everyone thinks they are. Landry Jones will keep them close in this game, will keep the offense running. I just don't think Oklahoma can get that one or two stops they need to pull this game out, and I think Florida State walks away with the win and has a great shot of going undefeated if they can get past Virginia Tech in the ACC title game of making it all the way to the BCS championship. All right, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is Brandon Hubbard. Next week, we'll take a look at the Iowa State game. We'll do a recap and look ahead to the next game UConn football has against Buffalo. We'll check in with the men's and women's basketball teams, and I'll let you know if anything has come up with those. We'll also keep checking in with the soccer teams, see how they're doing as the men progress with their number two ranking. We'll also look back at some of the weekend's best games in college and NFL. Stay tuned for all of that. Once again, my name is Brandon Hubbard, and thanks for listening.